If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is the John Oakley Show podcast. All right, as we head into the home stretch, uh, don't forget there is a severe weather warning in effect. Some snow is going to come our way uh, by tomorrow anyway, and we're told Saturday should see brutally cold temperatures and uh, as much as 10 to 15 centimeters. So you are forewarned which you can't blame people for wanting to uh, beat it to warmer climbs. Uh, unfortunately, some of those folks who are trying to make their way to those warmer climbs, the warmer climbs are Syria, uh, so they can actually hook up in that final readout with ISIS. Such was the plan in 2017 uh, of, or 16, I guess it was, uh, Rehab Dugmash, who was in court today and found guilty on four charges in total, two counts of assault with a weapon and one of carrying a weapon in the name of ISIL. Uh, you might recall that was the, it was about a year and a half ago, she started to wail on some employees in a Canadian tire store in an East End mall with a golf club, also had a butcher knife, and uh, she was committing these acts, she said, in the name of ISIL or ISIS. She was also charged with leaving Canada for the purposes of committing a criminal offense in connection with that attempted trip to Syria in 2016. How easy is it to get to uh, an ISIS camp, by the way? Let's find out. Our expert on all matters dealing with terrorism and counterterrorism, former CISA's operative, Mubin Sheikh, has joined the Oakley Show. Mubin, good to have you back on the program. How are you doing? Hey, John. Thanks for having me back. Well, listen, uh, first and foremost, you know, uh, when we heard the story of Rahab Dugmash, and she was supposedly representing herself, but she really didn't want to engage, and the court proceedings went on without her anyway. I thought on the surface, this is a mental illness issue, uh, NCR or whatever, not criminally responsible, yet she was found guilty on, originally charged with 21 charges, but of the four that stuck today. Uh, were you at all surprised by that outcome? Uh, to be honest, I was a little surprised that she passed the mental competency hearing. Um, I, I mean, we have, you know, we have plenty of real ISIS cases that we can deal with. This one I'm going to kind of put on, let's say, 5 out of 10, uh, largely because, uh, you know, the so-called arsenal that she had, it was kind of weird, you know. It's like barbecue skewers and a child's shovel converted into a claw and, you know, straws with screws glued to the tip. So I found that a little weird um, at right from the outset, of course. I mean, ISIS doesn't tell uh, their acolytes to, you know, go into a Canadian tire. That's not exactly a – maybe it is an iconic <laughs> Canadian institution. I don't know. But it just doesn't fit the profile, if I can use that phrase. However, I want to also say that, uh, you know, people like this, we, we find this actually quite normal, like quite regularly, uh, where the person is, I mean – not exactly mentally ill. I mean, like diagnosed mentally ill, but there's still some screws loose, if you will. Mm. Uh, and look, we could just as easily have been reading about uh, a woman in a veil claiming ISIS who attacked, you know, a police officer with a hammer. Um, so I don't want to cut downplay it completely. Well, the other charge that she was uh, found guilty on was uh, leaving Canada for the purposes of committing a criminal offense when she went to Syria or attempted to in April of 2016. 
you know, it, beg, it begs the question for those who have found themselves there, including a story I'll talk about here shortly, how easy is it to join ISIS? I mean, what's the procedure? Yeah, nowadays it's not so easy. I mean, uh, especially in their heydays, uh, 2013 is really when it started. Uh, 2014, it escalated, and 2015 really saw its peak. Uh, that's why most of the returnees we keep hearing about, uh, the vast majority came back before 2016. Um, so it's it's not that easy. Um, she did what most people do, that is go to Turkey, uh, try to get on, you know, in one of the, the, the town cities, border cities, uh, find a smuggler or somebody who can get you into ISIS territory. Uh, this is how, um, you know, the vast majority of travel uh, into ISIS camps used to happen. Uh, but now it, it's not as easy as it was before. Well, and uh, this brings us up to an individual who's been captured by the Kurds, and the reports are he's from Toronto, uh, and so he was, I guess, uh, videotaped by his captors uh, speaking English, uh, and experts have recognized his voice as being that of uh, a face-covered executioner in uh, ISIS videos and a propagandist as well. (laughs) I mean... Surprising or not, uh, how do you feel about it? Because, I mean, there may be some steps taken to repatriate this individual, have him serve any kind of time here. I don't know what the protocol is, but uh, what do you make of that story? Yeah, oh yeah, this is a very big capture. Uh, Huge, huge. Uh, He was the narrator on a video or on a video series called Flames of War. And Flames of War was one of their better produced, edited, presented recruiting videos. Uh, you know, basically assailing the U.S. for their adventures in Afghanistan, Iraq, uh, taunting the U.S. and and proclaiming, of course, uh, the so-called caliphate uh, would you know be successful and live long. Uh, but of course, that that all fell apart. The the real ISIS combatants that we've been worried about uh, are all uh, in ISIS custody. As far as we know, the ones that have made it back, uh, really, we haven't seen anything that they were combatants, but. I uh, wouldn't be surprised if they were. But the more hardcore guys uh, who are who are still out there in the battlefield, and these are the ones that we're reading about getting caught. I should note, uh, there are no plans to repatriate these individuals. Uh, Ministry, uh, Minister of Public Safety made it very clear that Canada is not going to do that. Uh, and and there's, a, there's some legal reasons for that, actually. I mean, if a person is caught in the custody or is in the custody of another country, you have consular services that, that you know, you, you have the right to, to receive. But we also tell people that, look, they can't get you out of a prison. If you've committed a crime in another country, uh, they have every right to keep you, to punish you according to their laws. Uh, so the good thing for us Canadians is that they are not being held by a country. So therefore, there's no legal obligation on us to either make consular services available uh, or uh, or try to get them out of uh, out of their custody and uh, and I encourage the Canadian government to continue that that policy because I, I'm sure I speak for all Canadians and Muslims. I'll tell you, we don't want these people back. Right, because uh, the st- situation on the ground is so fluid uh, in that part. Yeah, they're not, they're not going to send diplomats over to go and try to interview this guy in Kurdish custody where ISIS is always trying to attack them and. No, no, no politician is going to do that. All right. So if, uh, let's say, his ultimate uh, end would, you know, the Kurds would kill him, uh, we shouldn't shed any tears. Uh, because the other side of the equation is Justin Trudeau uh, very emphatically stated a Canadian is a Canadian is a Canadian. And if he's a Canadian from Toronto, as the reports say, uh, you're saying leave him to the Kurds? 
Well, the Kurds won't be the ones to do that. They're trying to be uh, very professional and, and gain inter- international legitimacy. Uh, but the Iraqis will do that, and the Iraqis have already executed numerous foreign fighters, including uh, Westerners with dual citizenship. Uh, they, they don't have the patience for it, and they don't care. Um, and the Kurds are really at the end of the rope in the sense that they have, uh, you know, over a thousand people, I believe, at least, uh, not to mention children uh, of ISIS fighters that they have in custody. And it costs a lot of money to house them, to feed them, to care for them. And look, they got they got bigger issues they need to worry about. So uh, I'm encouraging the Kurdish authorities to hand them over to the Iraqis for execution. I have no tears to shed for these people. Again, with Mubin Sheikh, former CSIS operative and counterterrorism expert, you know that whole area has been destabilized, and now it seems like it's metastasizing as well into uh, well going into uh, the middle of the continent. And we see uh, there's been disruption in Mali. And uh, more recently in Burkina Faso, uh, right near the border with Niger, uh, a Canadian mining uh, executive, Kirk Woodman, uh, who was kidnapped on Tuesday night, was found uh, riddled with bullets. Yesterday, uh, he was taken by about a dozen gunmen. What is going on in the Sahel region? This is sub-Saharan in the African continent. I mean, uh, tell us the lay of the land. Is it uh, all these ISIS-affiliated groups, or are they different groups? What's going on? Yeah, what it is, is uh, you're looking at a smorgasbord of all kinds of groups. Uh, Niger, Nigeria in particular, the, you know, this is where Boko Haram is most active. Uh, you know, for those who remember, they kidnapped the Chibok girls. Um, and both countries have had difficulties fighting them. I mean, there's, there's allegations of corruption by respective governments. Uh, and there's a lot of shady deals going on in that sense. Uh, so, so that's one side of it. Uh, of course, our peacekeeping mission in Mali, that's more an al-Qaeda-affiliated problem that we're dealing with, al-Qaeda and the Maghrib uh, and other groups. But this is the thing with these jihadi groups, so-called jihadi groups, they will network openly with other criminal groups. Uh, you know, the same people who are smuggling drugs, are smuggling guns, are smuggling people. Uh, so there's increasingly, um, you know, uh, overlap and, and networking between these groups. So. It's hard to know right now exactly which group was involved. What was it? A religious, you know, zealot group? Was it a, you know, a criminal, organized criminal group? You know, that remains to be seen. But that that's definitely the the problems that we're facing. And again, uh, you know, we've heard already Canadians who have gone who ignored the travel advisory, and then get themselves kidnapped. So I mean, for people who are listening, when the government tells you don't go to that country, don't go to that country. Right. Although they obviously had an enterprise there. Uh, he was a miner from, uh, well, with a Vancouver-based outfit. Got to ask you finally here, uh, moving while I've got you, uh, the report came out from the police the other day and their information to obtain uh, the warrant to go into uh, Jamal Hussein's, uh, or Faisal Hussein's uh, apartment there in Thorncliffe Park after the Danforth shooting. And they found uh, a cache, not of weapons, but actually loaded magazines for heavy artillery. Uh, they say some Islamic headdress, whatever that may mean, and uh, a series of DVDs that uh, dealt with conspiracy theories and uh, Americans in Muslim lands and uh, stuff surrounding 9-11 being an inside job. Uh, were you surprised there weren't more questions uh, about this initially? I mean, everybody subscribed to the narrative of mental illness, and it went away. It was left at that. But given this new information, do you think we might have been uh, better served by knowing more about this guy? No, I don't think. Uh, I, re- I reject. I mean, I followed, of course, the story, and there were a lot of insinuations. And again, like this is why we always tell people, wait until the police do their investigation. 
we can't do this knee-jerk reaction. You know, if we hear a Muslim guy's name and he did some shooting, so therefore it's ISIS. Uh, I mean, there was zero jihadist material found on this guy, right? And, and like I say, I mean, I've been following, you know, every single ISIS case there's been. I can tell you that not one single case did you find where there wasn't some explicit material related to their jihadist affiliation, whether al-Qaeda or ISIS. That's number one. Number two, uh, jihadists don't believe that 9-11 was an inside attack. They are very celebratory about the fact that Osama bin Laden did it. So that's another thing that kind of raises a flag for me. And the third thing, uh, the most important thing, is never, there's never been one case of a jihadist who shot himself in the head uh, after police were following him or, you know, chasing him. Uh, they always go out in a blaze of glory or blow themselves up. They never shoot themselves in the head. Uh, so I think those three things taken together should tell people there is no ISIS link to this whatsoever. I mean, I, I don't think uh, the, the newly found inf- uh, evidence uh, changes anything. If, if anything, what it does is it raises our concern that how does a guy that mental get his hands on those kinds of weapons and that kind of ammunition? Uh, the biggest thing that really freaked me out was the AK-47 ammunition. Like, where do you get stuff like that? You know, it's completely prohibited to own, uh, to, to possess. So clearly there's some there's some smuggling going on from the U.S. Uh, coming to Toronto. Uh, we don't know about the weapon itself. This is something that police also need to look at. You know, was there a weapon? Maybe there wasn't. Maybe he was trying to get one. Maybe there was and somebody took it and hid it. Uh, these are things that I think more important lines of investigation that the police will look into. But but I don't think, again, I remind people, look, when these things happen, the police cannot just post their, you know, uh, uh, crime scene photos on their Instagram accounts. You know, the, it's got to be handed over to the courts. They look at it. They decide what's going to come forward. And then they make that information available. They have no interest in keeping back information or hiding information where they just they just don't do that. Well, except that the mental illness thing was accepted holus bolus, uh, and as we find out now, there might have been some uh, interesting other aspects to the overall narrative. I appreciate your uh, giving us your insight on all of these matters. Moving, uh, seems like there's a whole cornucopia here of things uh, <laughs> that are right in your wheelhouse. Really appreciate your time as always. Always, thank you. Thank you very much. Cheers. You got it. Moving, shake former CSIS operative and counterterrorism expert. Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio.